It's been a great time uh, for, for me, at least, listening to uh, all of our uh, wonderful, incredible uh, female pastors here at PFN. They have done an incredible job bringing the word. I appreciate Pastor Shauna so much last week uh, for all the hard work that she has done in Kid Zone and that sermon that she gave us last week. That was, I mean, you could tell that was from the heart, right? That was absolutely from the heart. And preaching uh, through that kind of emotion and the amount of vulnerability that Pastor Shauna gave us last week is difficult. I think she did a great job. And then this past week of VBS and our, our directors, Christine Tarter and Christina Funk, did a great job. VBS was so much fun. The kids had a blast. And so good job to all of them. If you see any of them in the hallways, make sure you give them uh, congratulations for a good job. So let me ask you, can you imagine PFN, can you imagine our church, our community here, without these strong female leaders? We would be lost. We would be absolutely lost. We would be so one-dimensional here at PFN if we didn't have our female leaders. Because I don't know if you knew this or not, but there are differences between men and women. <laughs> right? Like you didn't know that, like, so, but you know, we, we look at the world differently. We do. We look at the world differently. We approach things differently. We see problems differently. We see opportunities differently. We have different mindsets. And so way back in the beginning of time when God created Eve for Adam, I think God knew what he was doing. And uh, when the Bible says that God made a helper for Adam... He wasn't making somebody that was just going to do everything that Adam asked her to do. That's not the helper that he made for him. He made Adam a helper with, who had her own set of strengths. Eve had her own abilities, and they were far different than Adam's. So we're just different. Men and women are different. For example, if... Jessica, Claire, and Louise go out to a restaurant with each other. They'll lovingly refer to each other as Jessica, Claire, and Louise. But if Brad, Greg, and Ryan go out together, they will call each other doofus, pig face, and fat boy. <laughs> it's what we do, right? We're different. A man... A man will pay $2 for a $1 item because he thinks that he needs it. A woman will pay $1 for a $2 item, not because she needs it, but because it was on sale. <laughs> right? And men, you know this, when it comes to arguments, women always get the last word. Whereas anything you say in an argument is just grounds for another argument. Right? Come on, can I get an amen? amen? Men, if you're too scared because she's next to you, you can text me later. It's okay. So, all right. So we're different. There, there's no revel, revelation there for us. We, we spent this time looking back on these incredible women of the Bible, women that were strong and courageous and justice-minded, women that were full of faith. And the Bible calls them easer women, uh, women uh, that like, uh, Shifra and, and Puah. We looked at Rahab, and today we're going to look at Deborah and Jael, and then we're going to look at Abigail and, and Esther. Women who literally 
changed the course of history because of their courageous decision-making. And they were going to do the right thing, even if it was a difficult thing to do or a dangerous thing to do. So we're spending our, most of our time in this series looking at these Old Testament women, but there is also women in the New Testament that we need to look at. So here's just maybe a bonus bonus one for you. Look at this scripture. I put it in your handout. It comes from uh, Luke chapter 8. Listen to this. Luke chapter 8 verse 1 says, after this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. These are the disciples. These are the dudes. These are the guys were with him. And also some women who have been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary Mary Magdalene. Let's just pause there for a moment. We, we know Mary. We've heard of Mary. We refer to her as Mary Magdalene. But do we know why she's Mary Magdalene? Magdalene is just really saying what town she comes from. There's a little fishing village on the coast of the Sea of Galilee called Magdala. And that's where Mary was from. It'd be like, you know, saying, hey, I want you to meet uh, Patty Pekin back here or Shauna Barton Villa, or something like that. That's, so Mary Magdalene, from Magdala, from whom seven demons came out. Now, why would Dr. Luke, why would he tell us about this specific number of demons that Mary had? What, what, why a specific number? What, let me ask you, you can go ahead and answer, what is the number seven? If you know this, just go ahead and say, what's the number seven represent in biblical times? Yeah, it's perfectness or completeness. And, and so uh, th- I think that's what Luke was trying to get at. He was saying that Mary was completely oppressed. Mary was completely discouraged. Mary was completely ashamed. Mary was an outcast. She was on the outside looking in. Nobody hung out with Mary. Mary wouldn't have had any friends. No one would give Mary even the time of day until she met Jesus. And on the day that she met Jesus, not only did he value her enough to speak to her, but he completely healed her. And if you want to know uh, how much Jesus valued women, just look at Mary. One of the three women that hung out with Jesus was Mary. There was Mary, Scripture says. There was also Joanna, wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. Get this, these women were helping support them out of their own means. Now, Let's just hold on. I want to look at another one of these women here, another, another bonus one before we get to, to Deborah. Um, we're not charging you anything extra for these extra stories. But so, so Joanna, wife of Chusa, the manager of Harold's household. Now, Chusa is basically Herod. This is King Herod. Herod who hated Jesus, Herod who wanted Jesus removed, uh, was trying everything he could to get Jesus out of the picture. Chusa is basically his CEO. And his wife is traveling around with Jesus. 
Joanna, the wife of Herod's CEO, has access to King Herod's calendar. All right? So if you've ever wondered, how is Jesus, how does he escape all the times when people want to get rid of him, when people wanted to kill him before he willingly walks into Jerusalem, this is probably why. What was probably happening is Joanna was, was saying, hey, Jesus, um, don't go there on that day. Herod's going to be there. Don't go there. Herod's having a party. There's going to be tons of soldiers everywhere, everywhere. So let's go around that area. And we have examples of that even in Scripture. So Joanna is basically the head of Jesus' security detail. It wasn't one of those guys. They were messing everything up. So who was, let me ask you this question. Who was one of the first people to witness the resurrected Christ? Mary. Mary Magdalene. Mary, who, who was completely oppressed at one time. And so God is saying, you know, who am I going to choose to be the first person to, uh, to witness that my son is no longer dead? Who do I choose to be the very first one to tell the entire world that Jesus is alive? Hey, how about Mary? Mary, who nobody hung out with. Mary, who, who at one time had no friends. Mary, who was completely oppressed by demons. Mary, whom my son healed. That's who I'm going to pick. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna traveled around with Jesus wherever he went. And scripture says that they supported his ministry out of their own means. See, not only, not only did Jesus need these easier women as part of his ministry, but he was being bankrolled by his enemy, Herod's money. Where would Joanna get that money? From Chusa, who was being paid by Herod. Jesus' ministry is being funded by his biggest enemy. Now, if that's not something that God does, I don't know what it is. That is God through and through and through. And so there's even this, maybe you've heard this, there's this kind of growing conspiracy in our modern era that uh, God was uh, mesogenic, that, that God was against women, that God thought women were, were second rate, that he looked down upon women. And if you ever hear that, here's, I want you to say, oh, nay, nay, no, no. No, that's not true. Because if I look at my Bible, it's quite the opposite. So we need to get into our text. We need to look at, uh, we need to look at Deborah today. Deborah was a judge in Israel. There was about a 300-year-long period where Israel had been delivered out of slavery and they're being ruled by these judges and so go ahead and turn with to uh, Judges chapter 4 in the Old Testament. I'll give you some time to, to go there. I know it's in your handout, but go ahead and if you have that pew Bible or you brought your Bible with you, go ahead and turn there. What should be reading it from the Bible today. And I'm, while you're looking that up, I'm going to give you some context of where we are. The Israelites, the entire Israelite nation has been 
led out of slavery in Egypt by Moses. Moses lived about 1,500 years or so before Jesus, and the nation of Israel has, has they've escaped Egypt, and they're wandering around the desert for 40 years. Moses dies. Joshua takes over. And Joshua is the one that finally got to lead the entire Israelite nation into the promised land. And so the nation of Israel takes over this land, but they didn't completely follow God's instructions. See, they were supposed to kick everyone out. They were supposed to get rid of everyone there. They were supposed to completely destroy the evil culture that was already in the land, but they didn't. They didn't kick everybody out. They didn't destroy everyone. There were still people there. And so eventually that pagan culture starts to mix in with the Israelite culture. And see, they were supposed to start with a clean slate to to be without the influence of all these other people that worshiped all these other gods. And they were supposed to then be set apart for God completely, but they didn't do it. And so the culture of this pagan society starts to infiltrate into the culture of the Israelites. And pretty soon people are worshiping God, but they're also worshiping all of these other pagan gods. And they're mixing some of these things together. And they had all of this lawlessness in their land. God's not too happy about what's going on with his people. And so he appoints these judges uh, to look out over his people to set them straight and to rule over them. And, and God says, hey, you know what? You guys aren't doing real good on your own, so I'm going to give you somebody to, to help you along. And so enter Deborah. Deborah is one of these judges. Now, what we see in this cycle of the Israelites, we see this all throughout their history, and we even see it in today. We see it in our own lives. We see it in the lives of nations today. I want you to go ahead and write down these steps. This is kind of the sin cycle that we all tend to go through. The first stage is rebellion. Rebellion. The Israels rebelled against God. They rebelled against his rules for life. God gave them the law. He gave them the rules, the Ten Commandments. They rebelled against those things. See, they didn't want to be set apart from the world. They, they liked kind of being merged into this pagan culture. See, we do that too. We may not think about that. We may not say, well, pastor, we're not merging ourselves into a pagan culture, but all of us are bent towards a self-gratification. All of us have that sin nature. And anytime that we look out for our own desires instead of the desires of God, that's sin. We know that what we're supposed to do and we don't do it, sin. Or we do the things that we know that we shouldn't do, it's sin. And it's all just a rebellion against God. But eventually there's gonna be the stage number two is the reckoning. There comes a time in your life of sin when all of a sudden it blows up in your face and Uh, If you sin, you have to be willing to face the consequences of the sin. There's a price to pay because sin isn't free. See, the result of living outside of God's direction leads to dire consequences that we don't like to live through. It's it's the day of reckoning. It's, It's the time when we 
realize we've been walking down this wrong road. And all this stuff that's happening to me is because I have made a wrong decision or we have made a wrong decision or the country has made a wrong decision or mankind has made a wrong decision. And God being God lets us travel down the wrong road. He allows us to miss up. His favored people, his nation, Israel, did it over and over and over again. They rebelled. They chose their own path away from God. And God let them do it. And then God just led them right into the hands of their enemy. Over and over. You would think that they would listen. You would think that they would learn, but they didn't. You You would think that we would learn. But we haven't. Because of their rebellion, Israel faced the consequences of their sin and they're going to be captured. Eventually, they're going to be uh, exiled, sent into exile. They're going to be suffering all because they chose sin instead of God. And eventually, in this reckoning phase, they're going to cry out for God God, would you do something about this? God, we're sorry. And this is where we're going to start our story with Deborah. For 20 years now, they have been in this stage, this phase of the reckoning, facing the consequences of their sin. Number three in this cycle is repentance. Repentance means that we just, we turn away from our sin and we turn back and face God. In order to sin, we have to be going away from God. And repentance means that I'm not going that direction anymore. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go back towards God. And the Israelites realized their sin was causing their suffering. And they've repented of their sin and they cried out to God. And it leads us to stage number four, restoration. And once they've repented... Then God restores the nation. And if you look through his word, if you look through his story, he does this over and over and over again. How many times has he done that for us? Over and over and over again. He's such a good and wonderful God. So this is where the nation of Israel is at. They have all of these judges that have been set up to look over the people because they have rebelled for too long. And so we're going to start our story in Judges chapter 4. Go ahead and read this with me. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was was based in Heroseth, I practiced that word, and I still can't get it out of my mouth. So, verse 3, because they had, he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. We're going to pause here for a moment. The Israelites, as I said, have done evil in the eyes of the Lord. They've missed up. They, they've walked away from him. They've taken their eyes off of God They placed their eyes squarely on their own desires and did whatever they wanted to do. And so the consequences of that, go ahead and write this down. God sold the Israelites into the hands of the enemy because of their rebellion. 
Now, I don't want this to pass us by here this morning. The Lord had had enough. He was done. He knew, he knew they knew how to honor him. They knew how to do that. He had given them his law. He had given them instructions. He knew they knew how to do it. They've just chosen not to. And they ignored it. And so God eventually sold them into the hands of their enemy, which just means he gave them over. He's had enough. His protection is over. He let them go down the, the road of their choosing. He let them go down the road of their consequences. And they're starting to reap what they have sown for years. And God has done his part. The Israelites, though, ignored theirs. And so God says, if you want to come and conquer my people, come on in. Just come on in. They're yours. And so the enemy king is King Jabin. Jabin had this military commander named Sisera. Sisera, we don't have a whole lot about him. We don't know a whole lot about him because of our Bible, but he is also mentioned in other historical works, and uh, there's others that have written about him. And those accounts uh, about Sisera say that he was a ruthless commander who led 300,000 foot soldiers. He had 10,000 mounted cavalry. And the text here says that he had at least 900 iron chariots. So a chariot in biblical times, just think of a tank. You don't miss with Sisera. Verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Labadoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the psalm of, or palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Now, again, we don't even know much about Deborah here. She's the only female judge. We aren't exactly sure why at this time there was a female judge. That was not typical for women in this period to hold a position like that. But the position of judge, we think of the judge as a judicial uh, uh, position. Um, she did provide counsel. She did provide advice. But the judge is really more of a military leader, which when you think about it is even more surprising in that era for a women, woman to have that job. And so we don't know how she got this job. We don't know exactly how who picked her or why she was picked, but, but obviously Deborah is highly talented and highly trusted. Somebody appointed her to this position because they trusted that she was going to be able to, to do what God has already equipped her to do. Look at verse six. She sent for Barak, son of Ananoam uh, from Kadesh in Nefalti. And said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Nefalti and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Now, let's pause here again because it's interesting what's going on in this story here. And if you look at other Bible versions, 
Deborah's speech to Barak sounds like this. Has the Lord not commanded you, Barak? Now go. In other words, this is not the first time that Deborah has gone to Barak and says, you need to go take care of this guy. This is, we don't know how many times she's talked to him about this, but this isn't the first time she's done it. And he didn't do it. Maybe he was scared. He probably thought that he wasn't going to survive. He wasn't going to be successful. And so he ignores Deborah's commands. And so she brings in the big guns into this conversation. She says, has the Lord not commanded you? See, this is why Deborah is such a a great uh, example of a leader for us. It wasn't Deborah's decision. Deborah was standing on the word of God. She was doing what God was telling her to do. What needed to be done was based on God's word, God's commands, God's decrees. And so Deborah wouldn't have told Barak to take care of Sisera if the Lord hadn't told her that. That's the kind of leader she was. You see that same example when we look at Jesus. Jesus didn't go anywhere where the father didn't tell him him to go. He didn't say anything unless the father told him to say it. He didn't do anything unless the father instructed him to do it. And we know that Jesus had this constant communication with father, so none of that should come as a surprise to us. But, But let me ask you, if you are a leader, and all of us are in some way or another, all of us are a leader in some form, is it obvious that your commands are coming from the Lord? Do the people that you lead know that what they are being told to do has come from the Lord? So Barak's mistrust is not really against Deborah at all. It's really against God. Let's look at verse 8. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I'll go, I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Here's another leadership lesson for us. Uh, Good leaders don't just command, they serve. They go alongside. Deborah went with Barak. She didn't just tell him what to do. See, here's what we need to get out of this. God wanted Barak to be part of his story, but Barak refused. I want you to hear this. Everyone here, God is inviting you into his story. Every one of you. There are things that need to be accomplished for his kingdom, but God's plan is not going to stop if you say no. God's going to find somebody else. God is not putting his hands up in the air and say, what am I going to do now? No. God's will is going to be done. He's God. But he's inviting you to be part of it. And so if, if you say no, you're the one who gets to miss out. You're the one who's not going to be able to participate in God's plan. But God's going to find another way. In verse 9, Deborah says that the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Deliver. 
our version of the Bible has two different words here. In verse 2, it says that the Lord sold the Israelites over to their enemy. It's the exact same word here as the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. See, God, God changed the course of action for the Israelites from being in the hands of the enemy to the enemy being delivered into their hands. And it all was because of verse 3. They cried out for help. Second Chronicles, you might know this verse really well, says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Friends, if you're tired of being that victim, if you're tired of of being the one that it seems like you're always uh, being sold over to your enemy, then call out onto the Lord's name. And with his help, and leaders like Deborah, the Israelites sought out the Lord, and they turned from their wicked ways, and God started to heal their land. Let's skip down. We're going to skip down to verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariots and he fled on foot. And so here we have this commander. Here we have this, this ruthless general. And he's on the run, and he comes to this uh, distant camp of people, and he goes to one of the one of the uh, buildings there, and or uh, one of the huts or whatever it looks like, and he 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 asks the lady who's in there, this housewife named JL, if she would hide him, give him something to eat and a place to lay down because he's so tired, and she does all of that. But remember Deborah's prophecy. Barak is not going to get credit for the defeat of his enemy. A woman is. So verse 21. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Earlier I said, don't miss with Sisera. Uh, No, you don't miss with God's girl. You don't miss with JL. Don't miss with her. And if we go ahead just a little bit to the next chapter, the very end of that chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 31, it says, And then the land had peace for 40 years starting on that day. So here's a lesson for us today. Deborah saw the moment. She saw the moment where she was going to join in to the story of God. So remember that cycle? Rebellion, reckoning, repentance, restoration. On your notes, you see that arrow in between reckoning and repentance. And it says, Deborah, that's where she decided. That's where she's joining in with God's story. That's where Deborah says, enough is enough. She saw her people running from God, ignoring God, and for 20 years they had been the victim. 
And she says, enough. Has God not commanded you? We got to do what needs to be done. And so this morning, go ahead and put your name right next to Deborah's. This is where God is picking you to join in his story. Has God not commanded you to do what needs to be done? There's a hot topic in in, in church now called justice, and some people are happy about it, some people are not. But this church, this denomination, has always been a church that spots injustice in our world and does something about it. We always have. Our denomination started because the church was ignoring the plight of the sick and the naked and the oppressed and the poor. And a man named Phineas stood up and said, enough. We're living in the day of reckoning because of our sin. It's enough. It's time for us. It's time for God's people to join in the redemptive story of God. It's time for God's people to be his hands and feet, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Jael drove a spike into Sisera, pinned him to the ground. Jesus allowed spikes to be driven through his hands and pinned to a cross. And he said, enough, it's finished. It's time to enter into God's story of redemption and reconciliation. You see, God lets us run away. We have the freedom to obey or not, but eventually the day of reckoning comes where we face the consequences of our sin. Enter into the story, Jesus, who says, enough. Enough, friends. I have come to seek and save the lost. All who are weary should follow me, and I will give them rest. My yoke is easy. See, folks, I don't know what part of God's story he's calling you to do something about. I do know he's calling you. He's calling all of us. See, the day of reckoning is upon us. We calculate the cost of our sin. We see the cost of sin in our society and in our world. And the day of repentance is now. It's now. And God is inviting us to be part of his story of restoration of his kingdom. Even if you don't see where where God is calling you today, just keep your eyes open because I guarantee you the opportunity to be part of the restoration is coming. It's there. We gotta watch for it. God is calling us to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So let's bow our heads. We need to go to God because we don't wanna miss that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this example of Deborah. Deborah, who this leader who had said enough, It's enough suffering for the consequences of our sin. It's time for us to do something about it. And she entered into that time of repentance and then did what needed to be done so they could enter the time of restoration. 
And so, Lord, all of us are in that same boat. You're calling all of us that direction as well. Lord, we're sending all of these kids we just prayed for into the school system, our teachers, our administrators into the school system. They're going into an evil world. And they get to be the light of you. They get to be Jesus to their fellow students, to other teachers. They get to be part of the solution. So Lord, we're not just commissioning these kids today. We're commissioning all of us. We, when we leave this building, are going into an evil world. And it's time for God's people to say, enough, enough. We need to set the example for ourselves and then set the example for others around us. We need to enter into your story where you're calling us to spot the injustices around this world and to do something about it. Lord, so commission us. Send us out. Send us to Pekin and to Tazewell County, to the south side of Peoria, to Washington, East Peoria. You have placed us here for a reason. None of us here are here on accident. So do what you need done and do it through us. We get to be part of your redemptive story. We thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, for your your trust that you would allow us to do that. Lord, empower us, equip us, help us to be your hands and feet into a hurting world. We love you, Jesus. May we bring you all the glory and all the honor that you deserve. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of us say together, amen.